0: like to begin with the story. This is a true story. Uh, this is uh, the story of a young woman. She's not young anymore. Uh, her name is Josie uh, Cornegay. And Josie was a, uh, is a Christian and served in the Peace Corps in Sierra Leone. Uh, and she was a medical uh, professional. And her job with the Peace Corps was to essentially work with students, college-age students in Sierra Leone, and teach them. Germ theory and other, uh, you know, aspects of medicine. And she was was very gifted at what she was doing. Spent a, uh, a year there working with the students. And at the end of that year, just like most teachers will do, she gave an exam. And the students did very well. Most of them passed. Most of them passed with flying colors. And at the very end of that experience, as she was wrapping up the testing one of the students uh, raised her hand in the back and said, uh, Josie, Miss Josie, we really thank you for coming to Sierra Leone to teach us what Western people think about the causes of diseases. But do you want to know what really causes diseases? And Josie stopped and thought, I've just been working for a year teaching you what really causes diseases. Okay, what really causes diseases? And she said, Well, it's the witches. They fly around at night. If your window's open, they'll come in. And if they bite you on the back, you'll get sick. And that's what really causes diseases. That was a moment where you had a clash of worldviews. A clash of worldviews between Josie, who, like me, comes from a culture that uh, is defined by a secular worldview, a materialistic worldview, predominantly, it shapes all of us. And her students, coming from Sierra Leone, uh, in a culture that was shaped by an animistic, a fatalistic worldview, one where everything is animated with gods, with demons. Uh, So Josie failed to take this critical subject of worldview into account as she began her teaching. And uh, so this is really what we want to talk about in this session is what what is the impact that a worldview has, Uh, not really just on a community's health and development, but on every aspect of community life. We will focus it in on these topics of health, health and development. But worldview is such a foundational thing. Uh, What is a worldview? How many of you have studied this topic, read books on it? Just give me a quick raise of hands. You're all interested in this. This is a a definition that we've adapted from um, a book called The Universe Next Door. And I'm trying to remember the author's name right now. It escapes me. Uh, Sire, James Sire. And, you know, there's many good definitions, uh, but this one, I thought, really does capture it pretty well. A worldview is the total set of our assumptions that are held consciously, but typically unconsciously, And that shape our view of reality. So our worldview is really—it's like a set of glasses. See several of you guys having glasses on today. Your prescription glasses shape the world that you see out there, right? When you take them off, if your eyes are your eyesight's pretty bad, it's really fuzzy. You put them on, you see the world in a different way. Worldviews are the same. It's like a, a set of glasses, but not for our eyes, but for our mind. It literally shapes the way we see reality, and it establishes. Our values, our beliefs, and here's the critical one, our behavior, how we act, what we do. And those, of course, behaviors have consequences. So worldview determines in many respects how we live, what we do, the decisions we make. Uh, Where do worldviews come from? And by the way, we all have one. You have one. (laughs) You can't get away from this. Where do they come from, these Uh, assumptions, this total set of assumptions that we have in our heads that shape our view of reality. Just let me hear from a few of you on that. Our culture, more specifically, our parents, very influential in shaping our worldview. Where else? Our school, good. Church, Church, good. The media, yeah, especially here in the West, the media, our friends, exactly. From the time you're an infant, through this process of enculturation, our schools, our parents, our friends, our worldview is being shaped. How many of you have lived or worked abroad? Uh, yeah, wow, good, this is great. So if you've lived abroad, you know this whole thing of worldview. I remember when I, uh, my initial time of service was in Japan, and that was a wake-up call for me. I, literally, my first week in Japan, I went to a church conference, And I was tired and a little jet laggy. And here I am with all these young Japanese folks at a a workshop. And uh, what I found out in Japan is that they like to be together. This is a community type of culture. And so literally they would sleep together in the same room on futons. They'd even take baths together in the public bath, eat together. They were together all the time. Now, I'm kind of a... Uh, In my personality, I'm I'm more on the extra introverted side, a little bit introverted. And so if you're like me, a little bit introverted, and you're around people all the time, it just drives you crazy. And I needed to take a walk, and so I took a walk, and they came back, and they were so concerned. I mean, it was a five-minute walk. Are you okay? Are you well? Do you need to sit down? Like, we would never leave the group and go for a walk by ourselves. (laughs) This, this idea that I can just kind of go and do what I want, I can go into Burger King and order the burger that I want, these ideas come from our American culture. And I didn't realize how deeply American I was as a Christian even until I went to Japan and was really confronted with a different worldview that just didn't see reality the same way I did. You guys have had that same experience. It would be fun to hear your experiences with that. Philip Johnson um, wrote the foreword to Nancy Piercy 's famous book, Total Truth. And he said this. I, I think this is a terrific quote on worldview. He said, understanding how worldviews are formed, how they guide or confine. Sometimes our worldviews are like blinders that horses wear. They confine our thought. How understanding them is the essential step towards understanding everything else. This is a fundamental topic. Understanding worldview is a bit like trying to see the lens of your own eye. We do not ordinarily see our worldview because we are so busy seeing everything through it, right? You, don't off, you, you spend your time looking through your glasses. You don't often take them off and look at them. That's the way worldviews function. Put simply, our worldview is a window by which we view the world and decide, often subconsciously, again, this is the values, what is real, what is important, what is unreal, what is important? unimportant. Our worldview governs our thinking. That word governs is critical. It governs our thinking, even or especially when we're unaware of it. Okay, it is a governing force in our lives, worldview. And in the Bible, we see that Satan works through worldviews. Uh, in both Colossians and Galatians, we won't look at there, but uh, the Apostle Paul talks, he uses a Greek word, stokion, the basic building blocks of culture, and he says Satan works through these elementary principles of culture to do what? To enslave and to destroy. We think of Satan as one who uh, deceives us individually, and he does. But he doesn't just deceive us individually, he deceives communities, he deceives entire cultures. And he does it through uh, the English translation as fundamental principles or elementary principles of this world or worldview. So as we come to Christ, um, we experience this transition, uh, this regeneration. Um, We are born again. But that experience of becoming born again as a Christian doesn't mean that all oh, that total set of my assumptions that shaped my thinking in this world, in this fallen culture, automatically go away. And I automatically have this grid of assumptions that's now completely biblical. It would be nice, you know, but God didn't do it that way. <laughs> and so there's a process of sanctification in our own lives whereby we have to examine our worldviews, We have to take them off, take the glasses off, begin to look at them and say, what is shaping my values, my behaviors, and my actions? I tear you. And uh, many passages in the scripture uh, remind us of this. This is such a, an important one, Romans 12:2. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds, by cha- changing your worldview. We are called as Christians to be thinking people, examining our assumptions, taking every thought captive, And making it obedient to Christ. That's part of our sanctification. It doesn't mean just to have a born again heart, it means to have a born again mind. And this is a lifelong process, literally every day. I am aware of how secular I am, how much secularism, materialism has shaped my thinking and has harmed my faith and my ability to trust in God. But at least I'm aware of it now. I'm looking at those glasses. Again, worldviews don't just shape us uh, personally. They uh, shape entire cultures, entire cultures. Whatever that predominant worldview is in a culture is the worldview assumptions that are going to shape every one of the spheres of that culture through its institutions, through its laws, uh, through its structures. Um, The predominant worldview, every culture has a predominant worldview, And it doesn't mean that it's the majority worldview. If it was just the majority worldview in the United States, what would it be? It would be predominantly biblical, right? Because most people are, you know, at least they're self-identifying as Christians or going to church. But the majority, Uh, I think it still is anyway, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But Christianity, or the biblical view, isn't predominant in our culture anymore. It's not. What is It's a secular view, a secular view that says God doesn't exist. Educated people no longer believe in God, no longer believe in a human soul or spirit. Okay, that's predominant. And it shapes our education, shapes our politics, shapes our, you know, get the structures of the society. And those structures then begin to disciple people, right? Because we all are touching and influenced by these structures. So cultures are are shaped by worldviews. Now, in missions, uh, missionaries over the last hundred years um, have uh, struggled in this area of world view. And many people now will say, while there has been tremendous spread of the gospel over the last 150 or 200 years in the last wave of Protestant missions, uh, and now we have churches literally all over the world, and many are growing rapidly, and yet people are noticing a problem. You could look at almost any of these cultures where the church is relatively new within the last hundred years. Many countries in Africa. Think about Haiti, Guatemala. And that there are a majority of people in churches on any given Sunday. And yet, corruption, rampant, poverty, rampant. Something was wrong. That gospel that came didn't penetrate down to the level of worldview. Dr. Vander Paul of South Africa said it this way. Uh, speaking of Africa as a continent, he says the gospel was not brought to the people as a totally new, encompassing view of life. It was brought as a, what? It was brought as a message of salvation. It is, is it? Yes. Is it more than that? Yes. It's a, you know, the gospel is critical, but it's just the center of this larger worldview. And the missionaries had failed to bring that larger, totally encompassing view of life which would take place of an equally comprehensive traditional view of life, the deepest core of African culture remains untouched. In times of existential needs and crises, most Africans within the church and without will fall back on their traditional animistic, fatalistic uh, world and life views. In short, the problem has been a Christianity that is focused narrowly on spiritual salvation while leaving animistic, fatalistic, or other unbiblical beliefs intact. In Africa, there's a saying, you know, the church is a mile wide. There's lots of ch- churches now, but it's an inch deep. It hasn't, you know, if you scratch below the surface, that Christian surface, there's this animistic core down there below that's still functioning. Satan, again, works to enslave cultures in this way. And so our missions needs to take worldview into account really fundamentally. In fact, uh, many evangelicals, while holding in part to a biblical worldview, actually don't have a full biblical worldview, and this has been a problem in missions. They have what I would call a Gnostic worldview, an evangelical Gnostic worldview. If you remove this line in this secular, uh, secular bo- uh, circle and you just had what was up there uh, in the corner, that would be a biblical worldview, actually, if you removed the sacred and included all of creation. God stands before all of creation, and everything in creation finds its identity in him. So Christians have held to that, but they've added this line, and they've said, but there are certain parts of creation that aren't as important. There's a secular world, and, you know, if we had more time, we could look at the history of how this worldview should took shape. But nevertheless, it was predominant in, amongst most Christians, including many missionaries, and this was a worldview that was exported now around the world. And so this kind of dualism of our biblical Christianity only, you know, we say the lordship of Christ, Christ is lord over all, but we don't actually function in that way. Because when we go out to work or if we're practicing medicine, we somehow see that as lower, as uh, as secular, part of the secular world. And our biblical beliefs don't really influence it as they should. And so consequently, when these missionaries would go to places like Africa, Haiti, Guatemala, etc., they would plant the churches but they would leave the kind of worldly, whatever the worldview was intact. Here's evangelical Gnosticism fleshed out. In the upper part, what's higher is this spiritual worldview of morality, of faith, of grace, of missions, of ethics, theology, all these spiritual things, spiritual warfare, spiritual disciplines, Sundays. Down here in the secular world are things like reason, business, medicine, science, science, Arts, politics, social justice, care for the poor, your body, the weekdays, Monday. You know, you kind of go out into the secular world on Monday, right? This, right, we're all, this is, we're all shaped by this, right? I know I've been shaped by this. This is not biblical. This is more Greek than it is biblical. The Greeks posited this higher-lower dichotomy, this sacred-secular. The spiritual things are good. They're perfect. This kind of worldly uh, thing down here is profane. That's, that's Greek. That's not biblical, but we've bought into it. Here's the biblical view. Uh, the old reformers used the phrase Deo, which means before the face of God. Every part of our lives has to be lived before God and understood in relationship to God. The Bible doesn't just apply to my spiritual life. It's not just a book of salvation for my spirit or soul. It's the handbook for all of life. It's the handbook for medicine, right? Do we really believe that? It's God's handbook for how we practice medicine. And everything else, missions, justice, community development, everything needs to be seen before the face of God. When cultures, when the church in a culture actually embraces and functions in this way, the implications are, for the development of that culture are enormous. They're powerful, they're profound. Here's the deal on this: if the church doesn't disciple a nation, the nation will disciple the church. What does that mean? Let me hear. Uh, let me hear from someone. What does that mean? If the church doesn't disciple a nation, nation will disciple the church. Yeah, there's a predominant worldview that the nation has, and if the church isn't actively infusing into that culture the view of the biblical view, the, which is the real view, I mean, they're only the truth, the church then becomes uh, syncretized to the culture. The culture will literally begin to disciple the church the way it functions, the way it thinks, acts, behaves. Church is us. It's us. I'm not talking about the pastors. I'm talking about all of us. If we don't actively disciple our culture, our culture, it's going to go one way or the other. There's no neutral ground. Now... Um, The ministry I'm a part of, we talk about this with churches. When we're talking about the church rising to its full potential in making positive change in communities, we say the only way you're going to do that is by casting off the lies that are part of your culture and embracing a biblical worldview. So we talk about a worldview. You've got to embrace it. You've got to champion it. You've got to promote it. Because these lies are the things at the root of any community or culture that Satan, again, is using to destroy it, to enslave it. Uh, one of our practitioners uh, who has done an, an amazing work in, uh, uh, with the, um, you know, uh, minority ethnic minority groups in Vietnam, and she's been working with ch- just a church-based community development project. All of it is through the church, seeing incredible fruit, literally seeing entire communities coming out of poverty. She says, I always start with the lies. And this list comes from her. And I said, well, what are the lies? What are the lies that Satan's using in these rural Vietnamese communities in the church? Because there are churches there. They were planted that uh, Satan is using to keep these communities down. Here they are. First one, we're not important. Uh, God only cares about spiritual things. We're born poor and we'll die poor. This fatalistic idea, you know, my grandfather was poor. My father was poor. I'm poor. My children. There's nothing that we're going to be able to do to change this fate. We need someone to help us. We can't do anything. This is a lie that's prevalent in so many cultures. We are helpless without help from the outside. And so very often our missions programs and our short-term programs, they send people with the best of intentions, but they just actually end up reinforcing this. And it doesn't help. We need to help people know that this is a lie. Um, We are too poor to give. Money will solve every problem. The way we work is unimportant. In other words, it's secular. They got that from the missionaries probably. So again, there's be a lot of lies, but she said these are the critical ones and she literally will work her training to address each one of them. Uh, There's a counterpoint to scripture on each one of these things. We are not important. What's the Bible say about that? You are made in the image of God you are and not only are you made in the image of God, you have been given a purpose God has a purpose for creation he has a purpose for your lives in that you have a destiny you literally shape history. history doesn't shape you you shape history that's what the Bible says look at william Wilberforce look at look at these great men and women of of, uh, of our own church history and you see that that God made us to be shapers of history. Boy, do people need to hear that. They don't know that. If they think we're unimportant. If if you go into a community and these lies make up the soil of that community, the, the sacred belief system below the surface, you can't see them. I can't look at you and know what lies there are in that community. But they're there. And you go in and you do a health project. Maybe you do an immunization campaign or work with orphans. Maybe you put in a well. But you don't touch this. What's going to happen? It's putting Band-Aid on a cancer. Is it a good thing? Yeah, it's a good thing. But it's not going to change that community. You've got to get to the root. These things are the root. The roots produce the fruit. Okay, there's a connection between our belief systems. These are the things that are compared to our roots, the things that are below the surface, we can't see them. These deeply held beliefs. And the trunk, which is the values, the thing we we value, also we can't see values, but you can begin to see values lived out in the way that people act. That gets us into behavior. That's the branches. We do see behaviors, and we do see the way people act and what they do, the choices they make, and then those actions have consequences. That's the fruit. There's a connection between the belief system and the consequences. If you want to change the consequences, what do you have to do? Right. If you plant an orange tree, are you going to get an apple? You never will, ever. (laughs) If the root is an orange tree root, you'll never get an apple. You have to get down to the root. So the foundation for a community's destruction are ignorance and lies at the level of sacred belief systems. And behind the lies, of course, stands the liar. Okay, Satan. He is actively deceiving cultures. And missions, I would put to you, is simply uh, really no different than community development. We come in and we counter the lies with the truth. We have to do this in our own lives. We have to be willing to have people help us because we all uh, struggle with this area of deception in our own cultures um, I, I, I'm sure you're the same way. I find it incredibly helpful when one of my friends from abroad, particularly Africa, come to the United States because they see the United States in a very different way than I do. They see the deception and the lies here in a way that I don't because, you know, I'm in the fishbowl. Dennis Tongo, one of my good friends from Kenya, you know, he comes here and he sees poverty. He says, you Americans think, you know, we're poor in Africa. I have never seen such poverty But it's relational poverty. There's such loneliness. There's such isolation. He goes, I would rather have, you know, I'd skip a meal or two than I would having this kind of poverty. Mother Teresa said the same thing when she came to New York City. She said, New York City is the poorest city I've ever been in. Mother Teresa is from Calcutta. So people coming here help us. We all need to, to be in a process of coming to the truth and helping others as well. But truth, God's word, is the foundation for a community's development. I firmly believe the most important book, the most important resource, resource that we have in community development, is the Bible. It's not technology. Americans love technology. We always think there's a technical solution. Technology is okay. Can be good. Can be bad. It's the Bible, it's the word of God, it's the truth that we bring. But we've got to bring it not just as this message of salvation, but as a comprehensive worldview that addresses these lies. It's God's transforming story. Growing healthy cultures. At that level of the soil, in any culture, there is a combination of truth and lies. In any culture, even cultures that have never been exposed to the Bible, where there are no churches, that are unreached, because of common grace, this doctrine of common grace, because this is God's creation, even in those places there isn't truth. I believe that. That's why when missionaries come and they translate the Bible and they begin to communicate truth from the scriptures, they're very often connecting with something that the spirit had already been doing in those cultures. Uh, Likewise, in cultures like ours that have this rich biblical heritage, there's lies. Uh, It's very simple. The more so truth and lies, it's kind of like the uh, uh, nutrients in the soil. The more truth, the healthier the tree. The more lies, uh, the, the weaker uh, the tree is going to be. I want to turn our attention now to, uh, for the, you know, the bit of time that we have left, to truth and lies in the area of disease and medicine. And begin to think this through with you guys uh, as medical missionaries. Um, we need to begin to think biblically about every area of life, and of course, medicine, healthcare, and the way we think about our bodies. This is a critical area. Uh, our culture will define for us answers to the questions about who I am, what does it mean to be healthy, uh, you know what, what, what is the body? Uh, you know it'll define answers for us, but And if we think with this sacred-secular dichotomy, very often we can be in church on Sunday worshiping God, but then we kind of play by those secular rules on Monday. We can't do that anymore. We have to go to the Bible and say, what does the Lord teach about these things? So I want to do a little, uh, just a few little exercises here with you. Here's a lie, uh, a deception, in the area of disease and medicine. There's little we can do to treat sicknesses and disease, nature or the gods or demons or witches these really are the things that have the power. Uh, Sierra Leone, Josie's story, the witches flying in the window at night and biting the backs. That's really what causes diseases. Now, because we don't think this way here, right, in the West. So this seems very kind of almost childish. Probably the majority of the world would still think this way. Do you know that? Large, large numbers of people literally see the world. This is the world that they see when they get up in the morning. What does the Bible say about this? What would be the, counter, uh, the uh, truth that would counteract this one? I want you to just take a minute and turn to the person next to you and just talk or just someone next to you and say, well, just what is it? What does the Bible have to say about disease and medicine that would be different than this? Just take a second. Go ahead. I have, a, I have my own answer, but uh, I want to let you guys... Uh, exp- let me hear from a couple of you, if I can. Just, somebody want to share? What, what, uh, what, now, again, there's not one right answer here, but what are some things that the Bible would say to us uh, on this subject of, of uh, disease and medicine? Uh, what, what are some things that you came up with? That would be uh, in response to this, this view here. What's that? Jesus has power over nature. Okay, Jesus had power over nature. So, right, there's a force that's greater, more powerful than, than even the demons, right? Okay, what else? Faith. There are
1: cleanses we came come up with. The Centurion one became in faith that Jesus could
0: heal. Uh huh. Okay, okay, good. What else? Let me hear a couple of other folks on this. Yeah. And Daniel talks about how, you know,
1: with the food that they were eating, how yeah. the, the fruits and the vegetables caused them to be healthier.
0: Uh-huh, okay, right, yeah, okay, okay. Yes, what, what does the Bible say? What, what, if you had to kind of summarize what the Bible teaches on this subject of diseases and health, in a concise way, it's hard. What do you think? Yes. Diseases are abnormal. They're abnormal. It's very important, right? Good. It's part of the fall. It's not what God intended. Therefore, what? If disease is abnormal, what? We fight against it, right? We we don't accept it as a given. There's some. Mo- See, many worldviews don't have any motivation to fight it. It's just normal. Asian cultures see disease and health as part of this kind of yin and yang. It's just part of this, you know, bar- harmony or balance. But that's not the biblical view. No, disease is not normal. Yes. But after that fall, or fall, then he also addresses so many issues of, yeah. of disease and prevention. I yeah. You to to yourself right. Yes. Yes, excellent, excellent, that's right. So not only do we stand against it, but we have to be active, and he gives the Bible gives us lots of ways. Here's what I, uh, I put on this one. First of all, God created a universe that's orderly, it's rational, it uh, functions according to laws. And then furthermore, man is created in God's image, and he has a position of dominion. In God's creation, we can exercise dominion over this physical world. And because of that, we can actually look into things like the causes of diseases. What's causing it? I'm not uh, a victim of germs, okay? I can actually have dominion over that realm. I can understand what's going on. And I can create medicines. So, okay, secularism will take this too far. But... You know what I'm saying? The Bible has something very different to say based on who we are and who God is and how he created uh, this world. Again, this isn't the right answer. There's, uh, you guys shared many things that I think were very, uh, very helpful in this. But this is very different. It puts us on a proactive stance against diseases, uh, one that says we need to be about looking for solutions. And consequently, the church has a legacy of that, doesn't it? I mean, this is our legacy, health care. Hospitals, it grew out of a biblical worldview. Cultures that had embraced these assumptions started doing things. Uh, Go back to the Roman uh, period or the Middle Ages and you see it's largely the Christians because of these assumptions that begin to develop modern medicine. What about the value of life? Human life is the result of the impersonal process of evolution. Man has no spirit. He's merely a complex physical machine with no intrinsic value. Um, that's more close to where we're at, right? This is, this is the one that drives our... This is what you'll go and learn in university here in the United States. Uh, the cutting edge of our studies right now is evolutionary biology, right? I mean, that's what everyone wants to get into. We see everything through the lenses of, of evolutionary science, uh, evolutionary science and Darwinism says we, we're just matter. That's it. There is no ghost in this machine. There is no spirit. There is no soul. People that are educated don't believe in that anymore. Now, we talked about the trees, beliefs, values, uh, behaviors. If this is at the level of the sacred belief system, how does this shape health at the level of values, and at the level of behaviors. If you really held to this consistently, what would it do to shape uh, your view of health care, medicine? Dignity. Yeah. Yeah, dignity. There is no such thing. Right. Survival of the fittest. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you remember eugenics? Remember the eugenics movement? That was a kind of an implication in the realm of healthcare that came out of these assumptions. Uh, there's the kind of weeds amongst us that are, you know, the people that have uh, handicaps of different sorts. Uh, they're not as uh, more fully evolved. And so if we can pull the weeds from the garden, you know, we'll all be a healthier stock. The, the assumptions that we shake our head and we think, God, how could, and, and literally, you know, in our own country. This wasn't just Nazi Germany. In our own country. There was forced abortions and sterilizations at the level of hundreds and thousands. And now we shake our heads and we think, oh, how could they do that? The worldview that drove that hasn't changed. It's not gotten stronger. Now, people don't often live with the implications of it, but it's still there. People like the implications of a biblical worldview. <laughs> okay, what's the truth? What does the Bible say? Again, just turn to your neighbor and just take a second and say, okay, what's, what's the truth here? on this one, the most important thing that the Bible teaches us about the value of life is really coming right from the beginning of Genesis uh, that we're, we are created in God's image. we're the high point of creation, uh, the high point of creation. No, no other part of creation has the distinction of being created in the image and the likeness of God himself. No other part of creation has the position in terms of stewardship and dominion over creation, as man does. Uh, we uh, honestly we don't understand the glory that God has given man. And is it, does it just apply to uh, healthy people? Does it apply? You know it applies to everyone, regardless of their race or their gender or their stature, status. You know, their position in uh, you know in the socioeconomic. Uh, you know, everyone. Everyone, this is why Mother Teresa could go down to the uh, uh, dying Hindu man in the gutters in Calcutta and pick him up and literally say, Wow, I'm looking into the eyes of my Savior. Inasmuch as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. The dignity of man, no other worldview, none, comes close to giving the dignity to man, male and female, that the biblical worldview does. These two alone have dramatic uh, effect on this whole area of health and health care, don't they? Huge. You go in completely different directions with it, depending on this uh, worldview assumption. We have a great gospel of salvation to share with the world, but we have so much more than that. Is, is, is this good news for the poor? wow, is this, this is really good news. We have good news to share, and the, and the world needs to hear it, yeah? Okay, uh, last one. Okay, nature of man. This is similar to the last one. Secularism, again, ma- uh, man is a, mind, uh, a mindless process of evolution formed man. Man is merely a complex physical machine. But animism would say man is purely a spiritual being. In India, they have a word for the physical world, including my body. It's maya. It's illusion. We're trying to escape this physical world that's illusory. It's not real. To get to the real, which is this eternal spiritual realm. Plato, again, very influenced by this. And that view of uh, man as being primarily a spiritual being, the body is unimportant illusory, is very predominant around the world. What about the Bible on this one? Which are we? Are we spiritual beings? Are we physical beings? What are we? We're both. It's kind of a radical middle between these two positions, isn't it? So I put this. Humans are a holistic and an inseparable combination of a physical body and a spirit, a soul that includes our will, our emotions, and the mind, our reason. So we are this kind of very complicated, holistic combination, aren't we, of the spirit and a soul and a mind and a body. And furthermore, we're made by God to live in relationship. We are relational beings at our core because God is relational in his own Godhead, in the triune Godhead, there's relationship. So we are made in his image to be in relationship with him, and with other people, and with the creation that he's made. So, effective health care has to take all of these into account, doesn't it? This again, your health care, these, these three assumptions, they go in very different directions in terms of the behaviors and the consequences in the area of health and healthcare and missions, don't they? Okay. So, this is again, this is kind of what the Bible is saying to us about the nature of of people uh, I'm going to end with this and then if there's uh, some Q&A we want to do at the end that would be fine I just want to encourage you guys to be uh, um, you know world missionaries if I can put it that way think as you uh, have opportunity to do mission to travel abroad or even here in, in, in this country you have more than a message of salvation to share and then to do medicine on top of that or beside that okay or whatever you're doing. You have an, a, a, you know, a transforming story in the Bible. And so consider being a worldview missionary. Here's how you can do that. As you go out and you're working in a community, it's easy to kind of begin to say, what are they valuing? What's important here? You can identify values. And then you ask the question, how are those values passed down? How are they transmitted from one generation to another? What stories? jokes, sayings. Uh, you know, what are the ways that these values are transmitted? And then, of course, like the tree we looked at, what are the behaviors that those values is producing? Sometimes it's easier to start with behaviors. What are people doing? Why are they doing that? What are they not doing? Why are they not doing that? Sometimes that's easy for us to see. We come as Americans and we see impoverished communities and we say, why aren't you doing these things? Why not? Why <laughs> not? Why not? And then what are the consequences of the behavior? What does it result in? And then the last one, and this takes time, what are those sacred beliefs, those deeply held religious beliefs that underlie this value? What's the root word of culture? What is it? Cult. Cult. Beliefs. Religious beliefs, a cult, that's what, that's what makes up a culture. It's a community of people that share deeply held beliefs. So what are those deeply held beliefs that undergird this community? And then, here's the key question, what does the Bible teach? What does it reveal that counters this lie? And then how can I be a model? How can I show in my own life a counter to that? as well as teach about that. A few years ago, when I was working with the relief and development organization Food for the Hungry, um, some of my community development kind of frontline worker friends and I, we thought, you know what would be kind of fun is to do a little project where we we said, okay, um, what are some of the areas that community uh, development is working in? So one is, The family, children, one is health, one is agriculture, right? Let's take a look at these and let's go to the Bible as uh, our text exclusively. Because, you know, particularly if you're doing agriculture or medicine and you're a missionary, you've been trained in the universities, right? The textbook that you have read for your medical training comes from our culture. You may have never gone to the Bible as your core source. So we said, okay, we know what we got in university on agriculture, on medicine. We're going to put that aside. We're just going to look at the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. And we're going to see see if we can cull principles from the Bible that relate to medicine and healthcare. Now, there's going to be a ton. So we're going to try to boil it down to just the top ten, David Letterman thinks, right? What are the top ten? And we did this in several areas, and we wrote a little booklet um, called... um, Truth and community transformation. And one of those areas was health care. Um, some of the ones that I looked at here, we looked at here uh, earlier, are ones we identified. And we, we, don't, we didn't only identify the truth, the, principles, the principle from the scripture, but the lie. What are the lies and cultures that uh, are prevalent out there? And so I thought, I don't have enough for all of you guys, but um, I brought this for you. I was told you need to give them one takeaway. So I took it literally. You guys have one takeaway here from me, or at least some of you do. (laughs) Uh, If you don't get one of these and you want it, um, this is a a book that is available on our website, uh, www.disciplenations.org. There's a link for uh, downloadable resources, and you'll be able to look at truth and transformation there. You could print it all off if you wanted. You could also order a copy from our website as well. But, you know, uh, this was a wonderful, wonderful exercise. I'm just going to share with you what we came up with, but I'd encourage you to do the same thing. Think in terms of the principles from Scripture that relate to medicine and healthcare, And then, how, you know, what are, how, do they, um, how are they different from the communities where we're serving? Why don't you go ahead and just pass, start passing those around? If you're not interested, you could just uh, keep them passing around uh yeah we're uh, we're at the end of the sharing time any uh reactions or uh, questions or thoughts related to what i've shared yeah disciple nations n a t i o n s dot org o r g yeah yes Yeah.
1: It's hard to see it because, you're, like you
0: say, you're so far in it that right. you don't realize what you're doing. Yes. Yeah, if, uh, there's been uh, some really good curriculum that's come out for Americans to help us think worldviewishly. One of them is the Truth Project, uh, Focus on the Family. Have you gone, Anyone gone through that program? Yeah, if you've gone through the Truth Project, I and mean, that's really what it's trying to do. It's saying, you know, we've all been shaped, essentially, by a secular set of assumptions where did these ideas come from? Ideas always have antecedents. You know, who, 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 you know, who are the, you know, the forefathers of these ideas that have shaped us? What are the ideas? So I agree, it'd be good. But there are some great resources now, particularly for Americans. The best thing you can do is just spend some time abroad. <laughs> You'll learn really quickly what it, uh, how you're shaped as an American. Terry, do you have yeah. copies of your latest book? I have a couple. You know, I don't know if I can I can't sell them. Okay. I brought some books, and it, uh, we have, we've written some books on, um, on this topic. Our books related to worldview, we want them to be for community development missionary practitioners. They tend to be very practical, uh, wh- wh- you know, because ideas have consequences. Ideas produce behaviors. We're interested in changing those things. Uh, there's a book that uh, I, I uh, was able to get uh, released here about six months ago called Beyond the Sacred-Secular Divide that Terry's uh, mentioning and thank you for help. He's a, "I appreciate your promotion, Terry. of This My book." Uh, of yeah, he's just <laughs> <laughs> this. This is a this is the lie that I talked about briefly earlier that shapes a lot of Christians. It's you know we think this, dualism is a, you know right. There is a biblical dualism. There is a physical. There is a spiritual. Where where evangelicals go too far is they start prioritizing that, and they say this is more important. This is less important. And because of that, they've become disengaged from so many areas of our culture. And because they're disengaged, they're not influencing it. They're not discipling the nation. They're being discipled by the nation. So I said, how do we move beyond this sacred-secular divide that has shaped our thinking? There's a copy there. And these books are available on our website. Yes? Just a neat little comment. Um, I was
1: doing a, um, a Che vision seminar. dealing primarily with women, but we had asked some pastors to come, and one of the young pastors, when this whole thing was over, looked at me and he said, I never saw the Bible as a health teaching tool, oh. and they had many, 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 many women's Bible studies in the rural villages around the church, and he immediately made a plan right, to begin to use the Bible for holistic health teaching for women in terms of
0: behavior consequences, yeah. relationships um, so you never know what God's going to prosper no that's that is wonderful that's great you know just because someone is a Christian pastor, pastor in a developing country doesn't mean he gets it either no that and that one thought is just revolutionary this book isn't just a book about spiritual things or about salvation this is a literally a handbook for health mm-hmm. that can change your life that one thought and government and everything else, you know what I'm saying? it's uh, So just, we have to be people that understand that. Yes?
1: You may not have time for this, but I'd would, I would like to make a tangible example. Of, you mentioned in, immunization campaigns yeah. or something like that, how if it's not done in an appropriate way, there's no, maybe no point. Yeah. Or something like that. And I feel like I kind of heard that in the main <laughs> in session yeah. as well.
0: Yeah. I, what I was saying is that there's nothing wrong with an immunization campaign. Obviously, it can be very good. Uh, we need to eradicate diseases. But what's causing, you know, why is it that they're still having problems with malaria in Africa? No, it's not the mosquitoes. It is absolutely not the mosquitoes. No, it's not the government. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's the worldview. There's a worldview that says, you know, we we are going to go out and attack. So, okay, so it's good. Do your disease campaigns, but use those as opportunities to share principles from the Scripture. Uh, That's what this list that I handed around with you does. Literally take that list of biblical principles in healthcare and say, "How, as I'm doing immunization campaigns, can I creatively teach some of these principles? Because then you're getting beyond just putting a needle in somebody's arm and getting down to that sacred belief system. That's the, does that make sense? No. Okay. No, no. I didn't do it. Didn't do it. I'm the exception here. Okay. Yeah. No. It's yeah, okay. Good. Well, thanks, guys, for your attention and. Uh, I can share, oh, I can yes. Can share an example from, well, a talk I actually heard earlier? Okay. Um,
1: for, for her, um, one of the guys from Tenwick was speaking on, um, on some different things, and he said that he had a patient that came um, that had you know, some type of infection and they sent him down for Maybe you can talk a little louder. so oh, Yeah, so people, yeah. Um, were, I heard a talk earlier, um, just to answer your question, I heard a talk earlier, um, a man from Tinwick Hospital in Africa, um, and he was saying that they had a patient that came in with an infection, and they sent him down to get some pills, just some tablets to take. And he came, he went and took some, took them and said, oh, they you know, came right back. and uh-huh. said, oh, these don't work. Uh-huh. I need an induction. Uh-huh. And his reasoning behind needing an injection was the demons or something would be released if he had that injection. If he had an injection
0: instead of pills, right, exactly. yeah, right, yeah. So, yeah.
1: so, you know, you can argue all day about yeah, right. whether to give that injection or not. And so, right. you know, he, he just said, you know, we eventually just sent people down to get an injection of sterile water and just said... You know, here's the you know, get an injection of sterile water, but you have, in order for the sterile water to work, you have to take pills too. Ah, yeah, yeah, okay. You know, you kind of have to like model things a little bit, like to fix them.
0: But they see the real thing is how do we get how do we get down to the level of this belief system? Yeah, Yeah. and you know, with malaria again, that example, if, if if if. in our culture here in the United States, if then there was a malaria outbreak, there would be this just, boy, we're going to attack that. We're going to get rid of every mosquito. And we do that because we've been shaped by a biblical worldview that says man has dominion over creation. Mosquito doesn't have dominion over us. We have dominion. You can't take that. In many cultures, they don't think that way. We've always had malaria. It's just always—it's part of what we do, you know. So that's the deeper thing. How do we how do we address that? Yes, let's give nets and let's do these things. Yes, but how do we help people to see that they don't have to be victims of mosquitoes? That they can take dominion. Anyways, thanks you guys. Thanks for your attention. Yes. The ones that I was handing out, you mean? Um, I I know. I just wasn't sure just how many people I was going to have. I apologize. But like I say, it's available um, on the website free of charge. It's all there.